You are listening to Sparking Wholeness with Erin Carey, where we talk about all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey, everybody, it's Erin Carey. Welcome back to Sparking Wholeness. Today, I am sitting down with Dr. Aaron Hartman. He is Richmond's integrative and functional medicine expert. He helps his patients identify leverage points in key areas of their lifestyle and health that harness their body's remarkable power to heal and begin living the vibrant life they deserve. Further, he has participated in over 60 clinical studies and has become the go-to doctor for difficult and hard cases in Central Virginia, positively impacting his own daughter's MS with his unique integrative approach to health. I am so excited to have this conversation today, and I just want to welcome you onto the show. Aaron, it's great to be here. I'm super excited to share with your audience and um, have a conversation with you. So, Yeah, I think we're going to cover some fascinating topics, you know. It's, it's funny, it has been two years since the world has been taken over by storm with COVID. And I haven't de- devoted a whole lot of episodes to the topic of COVID just because we're hearing about it everywhere else. But I do think something we need to touch on is long COVID. We're hearing more about that and, and our immune system impact and brain impact. And so I think it is important to have a discussion about what that means. So I'd love to hear from you. What are you seeing with long COVID? Well, I think long COVID is interesting because the first article published about it was actually um, summer of 2020. So it's actually been around for a bit and I actually started seeing long COVID patients in my clinic that summer as well. It was just that that was when things were getting a little crazy and it was hard to talk about and stuff's getting, you know, um, removed from it, um, social media and, and whatnot. So, but when you look at the data, about 10% of people who um, get COVID will get long COVID. Now, these are, these are old numbers, not based on the Omicron, the BM, uh, BA1 or BA2, which are the newer strains, but um, clinically I'm seeing people still getting some fatiguing things from it, just not nearly um, on the same par as, um, as the Delta and the previous strains. So I think it's something we're going to deal with. You know, when you look at the, the sheer numbers of people who got COVID, regardless of vaccine status, your 10% of whatever that number is, is, is nice, small number. And I think, you know, one thing we kind of briefly talked about before we started the recording was, you know, the idea of a post-infectious inflammatory syndrome is not new, you know, you know, long, you know, chronic Lyme disease, you know, or post-Lyme syndrome is actually a post-infectious inflammatory syndrome. You know, people get mono and develop chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia as a post-infectious inflammatory syndrome. People who get stomach flu, right? They get, they get a, a, a cholera-like illness and it turns into inflammatory or irritable bowel syndrome. These are all different kinds of post-infectious inflammatory syndrome. And so long COVID is just a new version of an old concept. There'll be new nuances that are unique for COVID, of course, but we already have a, uh, a toolbox that dates back decades dealing with this kind of stuff. So that's what I'm excited about is like, you know, when this all started, I had a toolbox of things I knew helped with boosting your immune system with, you know, acute viral infections and post viral inflammation, things like quercetin and zinc and C and D. And lo and behold, the data showed these things actually worked. You know, we started using those before the data came out because one, they're pretty safe. And two, you you know, a virus to a certain degree, a respiratory tract virus is a respiratory tract virus. It was just this one for some people had a crazy, crazy post infectious inflammatory part, but, um, we've got a lot of, a lot of toolkits, lots, a lot of tools in our toolkit. And, um, a lot of things can be done with these patients. 
Yeah, that is exciting. And I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that we do have the research and we have seen this before. And I even love to throw in the fact that I, um, and as a functional medicine expert, integrative medicine expert, this will not be any surprise to you, but my health history is that I had my first manic episode when I was diagnosed with mono. And so I know that the Mm -hmm. immune system, the brain very closely linked and brain on fire is a real thing. And so can you explain a little bit about how, how a viral infection can impact our brain health, our mental health? Well, you, you're, your brain is not just neurons. It's not just the neurons and the axons that touch of the neurons. It's not just the snaps, which is where neurotransmitters, you kind of briefly talked about that before, you know, serotonin, dopamine, but there's all the support structure. There's astrocytes, there's oligodendrocytes, which are the um, cells in the central nervous system that make the insulation of myelin sheaths of your neurons. There's um, a whole host of things. There's monocytes that um, migrate to your brain are called microglia. And what we're seeing with a lot of inflammatory brain disorders, the issue starts primarily in these support cells. So for example, with chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, which is also referred to um, as myalgic encephalomyelitis in, in the UK, right? It's like basically these little microglia cells get inflamed. And that's the first thing that happens. Like multiple sclerosis starts as this inflammatory process macrophages come in, you get demyelination and inflammation, you get these little plaques, but the, the damage in the neuron is late after all these other cells are involved. And so, you know, when you hear about, you know, you know, bipolar section, FDA, there's a new FDA approved drug actually for bipolar schizophrenia. And one of the two things in that actually is a naloc, a low dose naltrexone like medication. Well, if you know about LDN, you know, that's a immune modulator helps bounce wow. a TH1, TH2. I use it all the time with all immune issues. And now it's an FDA approved drug that has a, basically a similar to um, naltrexone in it. And I'm like, okay, well, that's cool. Cause we've been using it for a while in my world. So there's a really big, there's also gut health, you know, your 90% of your immune systems around your gut and your gut can prime um, neurological issues ranging from autism to Alzheimer's. And so it's really important, like when people have neurological issues and inflammatory issues, your gut becomes a primary leverage point for addressing with that, not just nutritionally, but also with inflammation, also with your immune system, with the microbiomes, a whole host of things that can be done to address these, these leverage points. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Oh, I'm so excited that you talked about the gut. I'd love to dive into that a little bit um, and, and the impact of our gut on our immune system and how to make sure that we're maintaining a healthy gut. What, what do you recommend? I mean, it's really funny. There's so many things. There's two primary, well, three main things or four main things. Well, there's lots of main things actually more <laughs> I think about. The, the first thing is actually just eating real, unadulterated, unprocessed, unchemicalized, food, you know, something as simple as milk or dairy, is it toxic or is it a superfood, right? You know, is kefir and fermented dairy, is it really that amazing for you? Or is it really that toxic for you? And the answer is it's both. If you take, you know, you know, water and oil don't mix, right? Unless you homogenize your milk, then you chemically force water and oil to mix, you emulsify and that changes all the food chemistry with how milk is going to interact with your GI tract. And so, so, so just eating real unadulterated food, no matter what it is, starting with the basics, you know, um, fasting is something else. That's a huge leverage point on the gut microbiome. You know, this whole idea of gut toxins in the form of endotoxins, you know, those are basically the lipopolysaccharides, this little toxin that surrounds gram negative bacteria. We, we always are leaking these things all the time from our gut, our liver filters it out. Every time you eat these, these, these transmit across, and these are part of the issue that actually causes inflammation in kids with autism 
all these endotoxins leaking, activating white, white matter in your brain. Well, you know, fasting is a simple, basic thing that people have done for millennia to actually control one, these, these bacteria content and two, allow your liver to rest, to focus on detoxifying your blood. And three, your body shifts to a fat-based metabolism from a sugar-based metabolism. That's automatically anti-inflammatory. You know, when you look at all these new cool things with peptides and if you're familiar with peptides at all, it's, or doing other things like what they're doing is basically replicating what you do when you fast. And so eating real food, fasting, and then, um, you know, there's other things like removing sugars and oils, but those are two basic things that are great starting points, um, for people just to work on their gut. And there's nutrition and there's a whole host of nutraceuticals you can use, but ultimately supplements supplement and the foundations need to to remain the foundations. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. You know, it's true. You can't out supplement a bad diet, just like they say, you can't out exercise a bad diet. And I mean, whole food nutrition is really foundational. So I'm so glad we're talking about this. This is also a really great time to thank our sponsor for today's episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Indeed. And just like we're talking about giving our immune system an upgrade, you may need an upgrade at work as well. Take your team to the next level with a hiring partner that makes it simple to find candidates with the right skills. That's Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites hoping to find candidates with the right skills, you need one powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process. Find great talent through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates with resumes on Indeed that match your job description, and you can invite them to apply right away. Plus, you only pay for quality applications that meet your must-have requirements. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy through the assessments. Indeed helps star applicants to shine with over 135 assessment tests from cooking to coding. Indeed helps you see your top talents abilities faster with 135 assessment tests. Indeed assessments help take the stress out of the interview process. Your candidates don't need to prove themselves again, and you can dive deeper into talking about what's important to you. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash spark. Offer valid through April 30th. Go to Indeed.com slash spark to claim your $75 credit before April 30th. Indeed.com slash spark. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now, Dr. Hartman, we were talking about gut health and, you know, can you explain something for me? I was recently reminded of the importance of the migrating motor complex and how important it is for digestion, but we never really talk about it. So can you explain that a little bit for listeners? Yeah. So the migrating motor complex is your, 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 your people have heard about the second brain, right? Your gut has its own brain. Your gut has as many neurons in it as entering your spinal cord. 90% of serotonin in your body, which is your happy neurotransmitters made in your, in your GI tract. And so you're, it has its own brain. And part of that, it actually has this natural peristalsis or movement that naturally flushes the gut out. It kind of moves dead cells, bacteria out. And this actually, the movement of this, this migraine motor complex is improved in a fasting state. So actually, if you're fasting, you actually help it move better when you eat lots of carbs and lots of foods that can cause things like SIBO, sugars, 
um, processed foods that actually can drive yeast, it actually stops that migraine motor complex. So some people have yeast issues and they'll be mm-hmm. loading gas and constipation. And so that, that migraine motor complex is a marker for a well-functioning GI tract with normal bowel movements, but it also is a way that your gut naturally just moves stuff out to flush it out. You know, one of the things is really interesting, you know, I didn't really connect the dots when I was doing my medical training, but you know, you routinely see some, someone's grandma come to the ER constipated and, and schizophrenic, psychotic, demented, you know, delirious. And you're like, what's going on? Did grandma have a stroke? Did she have a heart attack? You know, and you basically get her bowels moving and she lights back up in a day or two. You're like, oh, and we, we knew then that the, the toxins from the gut, especially ammonia, but a whole bunch of them, if you overwhelm the liver, it can actually cause psychological and neurological issues. And so part of what the migraine mineral complex does is it keeps that stuff flushing out. So you don't get that buildup that in some susceptible individuals can overload their body's filtering processes. But we can't be eating all the time, right? <laughs> Have to give our bodies a break. Yes, true. And, and I think, I mean, that's kind of the battle right now, right? Is that we have, we're living in a time where we have any amount of food, any kind of food that we want available to us at all times. Like I think about, I have young children who want a snack because it's there, right? Yeah. And when in history has that ever been so prevalent? And that's probably creating some issues for us. Well, it's interesting. The ancient Spartans ate one meal a day. Oh, wow. And the American Midwest, it was a typical American ate a meal and a half a day. It wasn't until the 1930s that we did three square meals, right? Don't forget breakfast, the most important meal of the day, right? <laughs> Actually, fasting till your mid-afternoon or lunchtime is the most important non-meal of the day. And then um, when all the snack stuff came out in the late 70s, early 80s, all of a sudden we had three meals a day and snacks in between. And then before you go to bed at night, we've created these grazing cycles, I call them. We're like cows. We graze all day long. And we, we are not ruminants. We don't actually need to be feeding our four stomachs. We need to give it a break. Dr. Hartman, I'm going to jump in there for a second because this is actually a really great place to pause and thank our sponsor for today's episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Magnesium Breakthrough. You know, the last two years have been crazy as we've been discussing immune health on this episode in particular. We know that we have never experienced anything quite like this in our lifetimes. We've never experienced such an effect on our mental well-being collectively. Unfortunately, a lot of us have been beaten down by anxiety, stress, poor sleep due to all the uncertainty in the world. And if you're a working parent, you've had the extra difficulty of keeping your kids occupied 24-7 while trying to work from home. This is not an easy task. I can tell you from personal experience. So if you're feeling exhausted and burned out, you're not alone. There are tens of thousands of people in a similar place right now. One question is, what can we do to enhance our mental wellness and recapture our zest for life? One critical thing that I'm advising all of my family and friends to do is take magnesium breakthrough daily. Here's why. Stress and anxiety. Stress and anxiety deplete your magnesium levels. Low magnesium levels then contribute to more anxiety. It's a vicious cycle. By supplementing with Magnesium Breakthrough, you can break that cycle because you will be getting not one, but seven unique forms of organic, full-spectrum magnesium for stress relief and better sleep, all in one bottle. Taking Magnesium Breakthrough will help you to experience more energy, stronger bones, healthy blood pressure, less irritability, a calmer mood, reduced muscle cramping, even fewer migraines. And because it supports mental wellness, Magnesium Breakthrough can help you to finally feel yourself again. Simply take two capsules before you go to bed and you'll be amazed by the improvements in your mood and energy levels and how much more rested you feel when you wake up. I have been doing this myself and it makes a total difference on my quality of sleep. 
For an exclusive offer for my listeners, go to magbreakthrough.com slash spark and use spark during checkout to save 10% and get free shipping. That's magbreakthrough.com slash spark. Use the code spark during checkout to save 10% and even get free shipping. Now, Dr. Hartman, you made me laugh with that last statement you made. You know, you, you mentioned that we are not cows and we don't have four stomachs, but so what is actually happening if we graze all day long? What happens is, is our liver can't focus on other things. Our gut's all trying to process toxins. Our gut's all working on stuff and your gut needs to rest. And so one of the things that's interesting, fatty liver disease, you know, non-alcoholic steatitis, um, we're now learning that it actually a large percentage of the population, it's being driven by your gut microbiome. And we're seeing that the, the, the bacteria they're looking at, they're looking at data with like, you know, liver um, stool transplants and probiotics to help treat it. But it's one of those things like my question is would fasting, would going back to fasting be a simple way to change your gut microbiome, to change the inflammation, to give your liver a chance to detoxify, which is part of the whole fatty liver thing. Um, it's interesting also as well, like people elevate cholesterol, high triglycerides, which are part of fatty liver. One of the best ways to improve your paroxysmums and, and mitochondrial function is fasting. So, so many things, you know, it doesn't have to be like anything crazy. It just means you pick 12, 14, 16 hours a day that you don't consume calories. It's not super difficult, but we, we have a food addiction in our country and, and people stop that they, they have addictive like behaviors. Right. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and we have these food companies that they're doing everything they can to engineer our foods to be addicting and to hijack our neurotransmitters. Right. So how do you get past that? Well, you, you eat real food. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> That's good. Just, you see real food. I mean, you don't eat processed sugars. It's really interesting. Like who has ever overdosed on honey? Mm-hmm. Who's ever dosed, overdosed on gravy, maple syrup. People don't just gorge it, but yet you can have a Coke that has high fructose corn syrup. And it's about 12 teaspoons equivalent in there. And you drink Coke two, three, four, and you don't, your body doesn't sense the sugar because with fructose, you actually don't require receptors. It goes right across your gut you know, lining, um, like these processed sugars, we don't have a natural capability to, to know when enough is enough. And so we can get almost activate our feeding cycles through processed sugars. Just eating real food is a great way to abate some of the stuff you're referring to. Yeah. So, so when we're looking at immune health, gut health, how does what we eat or what we choose to eat impact our immune resilience? Well, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, your gut is where 90% of your immune system sits. So just having a healthy guts, probably the best things you can do for your immune system. You know, if you have an autoimmune disease, by definition, you have to have four things. And one of those four things is increased gastrointestinal permeability, i.e. the key gut. Mm-hmm. One, one of the things that drive that overfeeding, you know, eating, eating processed foods, eating, you know, it's interesting bread in our country, they actually put um, surfactant like materials in bread that actually emulsifiers to help bread go through the machinery appropriately. So that all, every bread looks, loaf looks the same, right? Well, these emulsifiers also emulsify the lining of your gut. Mm-hmm. You know, mucus is one of the primary ways we maintain our gut microbiome. Well, now we're consuming things that actually, and there's interesting data looking at some of the emulsifiers and um, bread being associated with inflammatory bowel disease, you know? So again, just eating real food, which sounds yeah. simple until you realize that 80% of food that Americans eat is processed. Yeah. I mean, that was going to be my next question for anybody listening. Well, what is real food? Because a lot of people would go to the bread aisle Mm -hmm. and pick up whatever loaf says that it's made up of however many whole grains. Um, Isn't that real food? Well, Aaron, how many ingredients are in bread? 
Well, no, well, in real, sorry, oh, no, in real sorry, bread. In, in real bread, real bread. Yeah, I'm like, what, what kind of what kind of bread do you eat? <laughs> a, a real bread. You have the grain, mm -hmm. you have water, you have your your culture, and you have salt. And then like baby, maybe baking soda. You know, because we make we actually make um homemade sourdough bread, and that's it. Um, that's all it's in it. You know, it's five ingredients. Um, that's it. There's nothing else. And it's like you look at the bread at the aisle that's been you know enriched, um, processed. You'll see you know four to five lines. Of ingredients that's mm -hmm. you know not real bread and think about you know i used to when i was in college we used to live close to the, the wonder bread factory and here in richmond and every friday you could go down there and get a loaf of bread for um, a dollar and several it was crazy we go down there and get you know week old bread because we we're poor college students and um the bread would be on the countertop sometimes last for a month it never molded it just kind of would hang out there and stay when i started making homemade bread we put it on the countertop for three days and started molding and the um well, the light bulb went off I'm like wait a second that stuff never molded. Mm -hmm. Like, why would mold not eat it? See that? Okay. And this, I'm so glad that you mentioned that because I've been having an issue lately <laughs> with gluten-free bread. Have you looked at the ingredients in gluten-free bread? It's you know, the problem with gluten. The problem with gluten-free is a lot of times people repl re replace one inflammatory toxic food with another inflammatory mm -hmm. toxic food. And so you know, gluten, I like to use the word grain-free. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's a little better way to approach it because re replacing, you know, wheat with rice, processed wheat with processed rice, or processed airmith or processed whatever is, it's not the point. The point is eating real food that's unprocessed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's I mean, and again, for anybody who's listening, that means looking at the ingredients. How many ingredients does it take to? I mean, I just saw something recently that popped up. It was showing um, the difference between the ingredients in dog food and the impossible meat or whatever it is, the the plant based yeah. animal <clears throat> protein. I don't even know what what it's considered, but it looks the exact same dog food in that because it's a list of all sorts of ingredients. And it's like, well, why do we need all of those ingredients when we could just have one ingredient beef or one ingredient chicken or, you know, cause I think that that's really what people have a hard time wrapping their heads around because they think, well, it's the calories is less, but then you look at the ingredients and it's more. So are you saying that that is what is causing a lot of it's getting more and more difficult for our bodies to process these things. Well, the, well calories is a very, it's very 20th century thinking. We're in the post calorie world. You know, I don't count cal calories. Like if you're eating, has anybody ever gotten fat eating too much olive oil? <laughs> I mean, who's, who's eating so much salmon that they, they, their sugars go up and they get obese. The answer is it doesn't, who's had so many nuts, you know, that they got, you know, they get, and the answer is these real foods don't actually cause significant weight gains when you're eating processed grains, you know, how do cows gain weight? How do chickens gain weight? How do, how we fatten a pig up? We feed them grains. Mm -hmm. So why would I think it'd be different with you or me to do the exact same thing that I know in the, in the agribusiness makes farm animals gain weight. So that's where it's like the calories. I don't, I don't look at calories. I don't count calories. I actually, I probably consume about 2,500 to 3000 calories a day, but most of my calories, if you look at what, the, what I eat, it's mainly vegetables, but most of the calories are in the meat and fats. So have mm -hmm. healthy meats, healthy fats, which are important for gut health and brain health. And the calories, you know, if you're eating the right kind of food, you don't have to worry about calories. And I've had, I've had patients who've like done these crazy seven, 800, 900 calorie diets and not lost weight yeah, because, they're in, because they're inflamed. Mm -hmm. and if you're inflamed, you can consume a low calorie diet and still gain weight. And yeah. so and I've seen, I've seen, I have a couple of patients that have some significant gut issues. They actually have this thing called autoimmune, autoimmune ganglionopathy which supposedly mm -hmm. there's 50 cases a year of it. Um, and it's basically, if you ever heard of gastroparesis, 
Yeah. It's, so it's gastroparesis of the entire GI tract, basically. And um, wow. yeah, pretty bad. Yeah. And um, it was really interesting because they would have these crazy low, one of them actually um, was up at Hopkins and they put um, a line, um, a, a pick line in her to, to rest her gut for three months. So there's feeding her with enteral nutrition through a line. She didn't lose any weight. Wow. And it's like, that's how inflamed she was. And so that's where getting away from the calorie counting kind of it's hard, you know, we, we've been doing low fat calorie counting since the day of the seventies. And it's hard to realize mm-hmm. that actually that's part of the reason why we're cardiovascular disease, diabetes, and obesity are on the rise because we've removed, we've placed real food and real fats with fake food and fake fats. Yeah. I am. I'm so glad you're, you are just speaking my language here. And I love that you're sharing this because it's really important. We hear so much nutritional information and we get all these like, Oh, this diet, that diet, but really it's what's going to support our body best. And that is food in its most natural form. Right. Yeah. Well, it's also, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting how our bodies need to change throughout the year. You know, mm. when it's really, really cold. You actually need a lot of fat to keep your, maintain your body temperature. Mm. Even the boy scouts know, are, are told don't take granola and carbs with you in the wintertime when it's freezing because you get frostbite. They know that. <laughs> and we, so you're taking you know, breads and grains. And when it's the middle of winter in Alaska, you're not going to feel warm. You're going to feel terrible, you know, and the same thing, eating tons of fat and meat in, in the Brazilian Amazon jungle, you're not going to feel good as well. Cause you actually in that environment, when you're sweating a lot and have a lot of issues with infections and stuff, you actually need a lot of the nutrient nutrients you find in, in um, plant life. So eating seasonally, eating regionally, which means you're every quarter or so of the year, your diet's going to change. And if you live in a different place in the world, your diet's going to look different. And that's part of the blue zones, whether it's Okinawa, whether it's Sardinia, whether it's Okinos, the Greek islands, whether it's um, Loma Linda, California, or um, Nicoya, Costa Rica, all the diets look absolutely different. And yet they're all blue zones. But if you look at the fundamental principles, they're very similar. Mm. Yeah. And you know, something you bring up blue zones and it's something else I was going to ask because something I've always found fascinating about the blue zones is they, they eat a lot of their meals in community. They live in community and they live, um, in what appears to be as managing their stress as best as possible. How have the last two years of lack of community and increased stress and fear, how has that impacted our immune health? Well, I mean, there's what we're learning in medicine. You know, we used to have this biological, um, mode of medicine where everything's based on the biology. You have sugars, we treat the diabetes, but what's expanded now, we realize this is bio psychosocial model of illness and wellness, right? So it's not just your body's biology, it's your mindset, the psyche mm-hmm. and social, it's your environment. And so one thing, one of the, the uniting factors with blue zones is that social component, they have communal support, they have family support. That's a part of their ethos. Um, and so we lost that to a large degree during COVID, you know, I've seen, you know, kids, kids have major psychological issues right now. I talk with mm-hmm. teachers. I take with, I talk with superintendents of school zones of school, school areas, and they're all having major issues psychologically with kids. You know, um, you know, a lot of learning with young kids is learning to read facial features, right? You know, 80% of communication is nonverbal. I'm seeing three-year-olds who've never seen people without masks, mm-hmm. but they can remember in their life, you know, how's that going to affect their ability to communicate and to interpret you know, communication. One of my, one of my um, patients who's a run, run some school systems in the state I was talking to, and he said, he has some students in high school that are, were asking for waivers for the mask because they kept on getting in trouble in school because they couldn't read people's facial features. And they're always miscommunicating. They're getting in fights. They're oh getting in trouble gosh. all the time because they just couldn't read like 
because they're like these more gregarious, outgoing kind of type that joke a lot, you know, and they just couldn't read the teacher and other students' faces. No, am I pushing the limits or am I, you know, it, and so we've just, I'm, 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 I'm concerned we're going to see in the next five to 10 years with that group as they, as, as they grow. Yeah. Yeah. My youngest, I think he was, he was three when all of this hit and I would take him to church when they finally opened back up. Well, all the childcare workers had masks on and he didn't want to go because to a little kid, people who wear masks are the bad guys. (laughs) And so he didn't just didn't. And he really needs to read facial expressions. And that was really hard for him. It still is, you know, and we're living in an area that, um, it's, it's different than some places in, in the country. And that's going to be interesting too, is regionally how people, how all of this is affecting people differently, depending on where you live and what yeah. your city is saying and your state is saying. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it sounds like a big old experiment. <laughs> I mean, well, one thing, I mean, the United people look at the United States as if it's one country and really 50 countries with one mm-hmm. federal government. You know, if you look at the history of Virginia, which is where I'm from, it's different than the history of Maryland, which is just literally right across the border. It's different than the history of Texas and California. And, you know, we speak the same language. We have a, a similar cult, like national culture, but regional cultures, regional um, norms are totally different. And so when you look at you can't compare United States to England. It has to be like United States versus UK. And we're totally going to see different responses, just like we've seen in the UK between Denmark and Italy and Spain and Germany. And Mm so we're going to see something similar play out here in the United States. It's just being attuned to those differences and realizing that the, um, the culture in New York city and California is going to be totally different than Texas and Florida and there's everything in between. Yeah. Yeah, you you bring up so many good points. And going back to just the idea of immune resilience, moving forward, do you believe that people are less concerned about their immune health or more concerned or more concerned in the wrong ways? Or what has this brought to light? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I've we've never our office never closed. We've been seeing people the whole time, you know. Um, our office, you know sees about 200 to 250 people a day come through our office. We're a pretty busy office. Um, I think from what I see in my location, people are just kind of ready to go back to Mm -hmm. whatever the new normal is going to be. They're ready to get their lives back. They're ready to move on. You know, um, as far as, I don't think people are really thinking about their health. I mean, I've seen so many people gain weight. It's unusual Mm -hmm. for me to see someone who hasn't gained weight. It's unusual to see someone whose cholesterol numbers and sugar numbers haven't gone up. It's, un, it's unusual to see someone whose mental status is just as good or better than it was before the pandemic. So, but people aren't looking at that. They just want to get back. They just want to start living their lives again, whatever that, whatever that means. And so, and, yeah. and so some people are gonna do that mask. Some people do that unmasked, you know, it's, it's different, but I don't, I was hoping when this whole pandemic started, one of my hopes was this would kind of take functional medicine and bring it to the forefront. Mm-hmm. People would realize how important nutrition and diet is things like vitamin D and zinc, to realize that, you know, practitioners who do translational medicine, taking information from around the world. And that's one of the things we do and incorporating, we had that be accepted. We, we realize, Hey, this is the way forward, but it, um, I haven't seen that play out. I've only seen the, 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 um, our institutions, our health institutions and the way we do education become almost more, um, solid and more stringent, not less fluid. And so, and with technology being such that literally, um, you know, people, we're not, people are now looking at preprint review articles. I mean, that was never a thing before pandemic. You always wait for it yes. to be, you always wait for it to be reviewed. And now you're like at the stage where people want to look at preprint. I'm like, it's just, and, and regular people, non-medical people are now looking at that and asking questions about how this affects their health. And so it's just, 
when you have that happening on one side and the other side is like, no, we all need to still do medicine just the way we've always done medicine and not change it. It's just, um, I'm not sure where things are going to pan out. I haven't mm-hmm. seen people really super concerned about their, their health and their immune system. It's, um, people are starting trying to survive and trying to get back to normal. Yeah. Yeah. That's, those, that's a good thought. You know, I, cause I had the same thought as you, when we started, I'm like, okay, people are really going to care about <laughs> supporting their health at the root. Right. But it's just, it, it, it seems there's been a lot of fear and well, I'm just going to never leave instead of going, okay, what can I proactively do to yeah. support my health? Um, and so that's why I do like having people like you on the show, because you give practical tools for actual preventative strategies, you know, beyond just like, well, let's, we'll risk it with the mask or no mask. We're just going to all risk it. You know, um, yeah. there's a lot more that goes into it. And our, our immune systems are not just like, we can strengthen them. Well, I mean, I think one of the things to realize that there are certain groups of people that are incredibly susceptible to COVID yeah. and there are certain groups of people that are incredibly not susceptible you know, we never really took, took back as, as a, as a, now the people have done that you know, in research and people and, and like myself, but as a, as a society or culture, we never took a step back and said, what makes one group super susceptible and one group super resilient? You know, we had literature being published about the gut microbiome in kids and that being one of the factors that makes kids actually um, more resilient to infl- inflammation. Mm-hmm. Um, we had information about the nutritional deficiencies and the elderly like zinc and vitamin D um, you know, the issues with vascular integrity and in people with, um, metabolic syndrome, such as diabetics, your obese people, sleep apnea, heart disease, stroke patients that actually were super susceptible to COVID and realizing that has to do with your lining of your small vessels called endothelium. So one group has these things, one group has this, like, how do we meld this information to help, you know, take what we know if that makes people super resilient and then what people make makes me a risk. And then let's combine that information, you know, that just never really, um, happened. You know, it happened in my world. It happened in the functional mm-hmm. and great medicine world. It happened in different, in different segments of the medical world, but largely wasn't communicated on, on the whole. And it's really interesting when you look at the UK, the UK actually early on realized how important vitamin D was. And so they were actually mailing vitamin D in the UK to um, people with cystic fibrosis and high-risk conditions because they saw it as a public health issue in the UK. And here you talked about it. You basically, you know, got flagged on social media that you were not, mm-hmm. you know, you were, you're not communicating the right information. And so it's really weird how one English speaking country was like literally mailing for free to people. And the other one is like being discussion on social media. So it's just, it's kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah. We are definitely living in weird. Sometimes I, it seems almost like the dark ages of, of medicine science, like only these people can talk about it. And if you have anything counter, well, you know, so it's just an, it's an interesting world we're living in, but um, I do love when I have people like you on the show, because we can talk about these things. And so you have seven keys to better health and immune resilience. Can you just kind of give a brief overview on what, what that looks like? Well, these are the basic things that we all have access to that are inexpensive um, and available that can maximize your resilience. Resilience is basically getting your body to a situation where if you have an accident, injury, an illness, your body is going to be maximally ready to withstand that stressor and heal itself. And so you've got the, the foundations of functional medicine are in there, which are diet, exercise, sleep, stress. You've got relationships. You've got, you know, um, your psychological aspect, the, the mind body aspect. And so these are like the key things that if you are working on all these, you know, you have, you have older people that got COVID who had a runny nose, 
you have young people who got COVID and died from it, yep. you know, and, and you start looking at these, these people and you realize there's, there's similarities between groups and differences. And so these seven key steps focus on what the similar similarities and resilient people groups. And I do talk about the blue zones a little bit in that, in that thing you're referring to as well. Um, just give people information. Like these are things you can start doing now to help improve your health. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. I, one of my parents is in a, is in like the high risk category and he was sick for maybe four days, just felt kind of bad, was a little bit tired. And he was one of the, the first wave of, of COVID getters and COVID getters. <laughs> um, yeah. COVID ears. Yeah. That's, that's a technical term, right? Yeah. Um, and just didn't, didn't have any symptoms afterward. It was like, he got it. He was got, he was like, man, the, the flu was way worse than that. But then, like you said, there are younger people, um, who, got hit a lot harder. And so I think that, that it is important that the individualization of, you know, it's not a one size fits all when we're talking about immune health, so many other factors play a role. Absolutely. And one of the things I noticed with some of the younger people that are athletes who got sick was a lot of them were hypermobile or double Mm. jointed, which makes you more competitive athletic. If you're a basketball player, you can jump a little higher. If you're a tennis player, you can hit a ball a little faster, but it also makes you more prone to inflammation. Hmm. Um, and also it sets up for more gut issues, dysbiosis type issues. And so it also increases risks for mild sleep apnea. And so, yeah. And so it's really interesting to see, um, like how, and I've also had some patients in my clinic that were younger with long COVID who also lived in moldy buildings, like their houses had mold issues Mm -hmm. and they had no idea. And they come to see me because they've been sick for four or five months. And then we started looking into it and then lo and behold, they had, you know, mold in their HVAC air handler, or they had a crawl space that was moist that had mold growing in it. And, and so like, when I see people who've had issues like long COVID or chronic fatigue from mold or tick bites or whatever, when you dig into it, there are things going on that actually set them up for it. It's just using an environmental lens, using a toxicology lens, using a, a holistic lens that looks at everything, not just, you know, well, it's not not your diabetes. It's not, this It's not that it must be nothing. It's like, well, there's other, you know, there's other things to look at besides these concrete end stage, your diagnosis. You know, there's an interesting book, Richard, uh, Dr. Bland, who's like one of the fathers of functional medicine, mm-hmm. right? I'm not really happy with the title, but it's called the disease delusion. Mm-hmm. I read that. T- yeah. Yeah. And he talks about like the idea that waiting till someone's diabetes is so bad that everybody agrees is diabetes or waiting until someone's heart disease is so bad. They had their first heart event. Like you're waiting too late. Everything's late stage. Yeah. And so we have a population of people have a little bit of everything going on. And so it's just finding those markers for inflammation, for nutritional deficiencies that are, that we're going to pop up in 10 or 20 years. And that's, those are a lot of patients that are, have had significant COVID issues. Um, yeah. at least when, when I see them in my clinic. Yeah, that that's good. Yeah. And it seems like COVID is only just exacerbating what was already there under the surface. Yeah. And Correct. it's like, Oh, here, here it is, you know, and I'm seeing a, a lot of young women stressed out, you know, doing the mom yeah. thing, doing the dieting exercise thing, all of that. And I'm, I'm talking women in their twenties and thirties, and then just struggling with, with a lot of things that I, I see women in their fifties and sixties that don't struggle with that. You know, it's yeah. almost like we are creating a new generation of really stressed out, worn down people. Um, and I'm not quite sure what's causing that. Well, well it's, there's, there's so many societal things. Social media mm. is a big, big player. The news, these news cycles, you know, it's really, it's really easy to get trapped in these cycles to see what's going on. There's, there's interesting data linking exposure to news feeds and social media directly with anxiety, mm-hmm. you know? And so, 
you know, part of me wonders how much of this cultural social anxiety that's just everywhere now is related to our need to know everything is going on everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so in the result of those is you, you literally, every, every person has the ability to feel the burden of the world on their shoulders yeah. and feel the concern about everybody's kids and not to say we shouldn't have compassion and help others, but it's like at some point in time, you have to realize that that's actually might be affecting your health adversely. And there's a lot of data suggesting that. Mm-hmm, there is. Yeah. You know, one word that I've been hearing pop up a lot um, with just different coaching communities and functional medicine communities is this phrase. I'd love to talk about this because we have some time left. Psycho neuroimmunoendocrinology. Psycho neuroimmunoendocrinology. Yeah. Yes. Can you talk about that for a second? Because it sounds like okay. that's something that you can speak to a little bit. So, so let's watch so the, psych, the psychological aspect is your mind. So when you think about your mind, like, I'm talking about one mind right now, one mind is communicating with another mind There's other minds will be listening to us. Right. But within that, you have an immune system. You have microglia, you have astrocytes, you have an immune system. Well, that also hooks up through your vagus nerve to your, your GI tract, which has its own immune system and its own neurological system. And one of the ways these systems connect is with, you know, chemicals called hormones that go through your blood, but also with your, your nervous system that actually communicates rapidly between systems and releases neurotransmitters. So you get the psycho neuro immuno gastroendocrinology. And it's interesting. You can go to places like Hopkins and actually work on a PhD in this field. Hmm. And so when someone comes in with a psychological issue, right? A psycho issue, is it primary psychological issue from like just stress? Well, stress can affect your cortisol, which is a hormone, which can affect your gut, which has, which is, um, has a neurological system there. It can cause leaky brain. Okay. Which is another neurological mm-hmm. system. And so the question is, if someone comes in with a gut issue, is it also involving these other systems? And we're starting to realize that all these systems are always interworking all the time without a functioning neurological system. Your gut won't work the right way without a functioning hormonal system. Your brain doesn't work the right way. And so this, this, this siloing of, this is your heart. This is your, this is your neurological system. This is your hormonal system. And saying this silo doesn't touch this silo doesn't touch this silo. The newer thing, it's like, I call it infinite complexity. <laughs> it's everything touches everything else. <laughs> and so it's really, you know, that's what this new field is, is looking, we're taking a deeper dive and then understanding how if someone comes with the autoimmune issue, how that can affect their, their mood, how that can affect their digestion and their hormones and not having five specialists see these five things, but have one uber specialist or uber journalist, which would be a functional medicine practitioner mm-hmm. who has the ability to address all those things. So that's, that's actually a hot button topic right now. And it's um, where all the science is and, and people have to realize is that, you know, we have the science and data. It takes about 20 years yeah. before the research becomes, becomes mainstream. And so there's, there's going to be a process of decades. It was really funny. Leaky gut back in the eighties was, was considered um, hooey. It was, yeah. it was actually, it was, kind of, it was like, you know, the medical version of um, quackery, like, oh my gosh, that's the dumbest <laughs> thing ever. And now it's literally, I was talking with one of um, my research um, colleagues at my office and he, um, he's just graduated from college. He's like, oh yeah, we talked about the gut microbiome and biology class. I'm like, oh, wow. You're talking about in school now. That is so cool. Yeah. It's maybe 20 years behind the curve, but you know, you have to, re- you have to realize that that's where practitioners like myself are kind of out there picking up the pearls as they pop mm-hmm. up. And trying to use them as they're use, as they're usable, not waiting for the CDC or the FDA or the World Health Organization to right. let me let me know that it's okay, Dr. Hartman, if you use Probox now with people with gut issues, or it's okay, Dr. Hartman, <laughs> use vitamin D for people with immunological issues or heart issues, or it's okay for you to screen for sleep apnea in um, young athletic women 
who have narrowed dental arches and high arch palates, mm-hmm. have, have mild dysautonomia pots. It's okay to scoop for sleep apnea now. Like if I wait for that, we're talking about potentially decades from now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's why you are doing what you're doing, treating these mystery <laughs> patients, right? Because it's, it's, there are a lot of people out there looking for help and looking for relief. And it's like, where, where do they go? You know, if, if they're waiting on the FDA, if they're waiting yeah. on, um, because then they're just being left in the dust. And so, um, I, I appreciate you digging into these things because it is, I mean, it's fascinating, the mind body connection and all, I mean, and it does play a role into what we're talking about with COVID and even the long haulers and the, and the fear in the community, it all ties together. Well, like it's interesting when you talk about the mind with COVID and long COVID, when I got COVID back in August, um, I got really anxious. I got a little COVID brain. Mm -hmm. So I actually got Mm -hmm. on edge. Like my kids' voices would make me anxious. The dog Mm -hmm. would make me anxious. And I got a really appreciation for those. Some people, when they get COVID actually almost develop this PTSD kind of brain. from the, from the, from the inflammation where they now are anxious about everything they feel Mm. every heart palpation. I remember when I was going to bed, um, when I first had COVID and I'd, you know, go up the stairs and my heart rate would raise up to Mm -hmm. 120 and I'd lay Mm -hmm. in bed and feel like the pressure in my chest. And I was like, I remember saying this to myself, like if I was given the, if I was an anxious fella, (laughs) this would be be stressing me out right now. (laughs) I have to, I have to sell it to myself over and over again, not to get anxious. Cause it's like, yeah, my heart kind of hurts. My chest is kind of hurt me right now. And there's actually an inflammatory psycho neuroimmunoendocrinological component to that long COVID anxiety stuff. And now mm. we're in, and, but there's also that with regular anxiety, regular depression, yeah. regular, regular psychological issues have this connectivity. So that's just an interesting connection you kind of mentioned there. Well, and, and I just saw something pop up about um, now they're seeing long COVID being vagus nerve dysfunction. I just saw that pop up, cannot tell you where it was, but um, yeah. I think, you know, all that. It's just so interesting, the, um, how it all ties together in different ways. Yeah. That's fascinating. Everything connects to everything else. Yeah. Yeah. But we, but we haven't treated it that way traditionally in the yeah. last, you know, hundred, 150 years or so we're treating everything. Like you said, we're compartmentalizing it all, but I think the new wave I hope is changing that. Yeah, well, that'd be a hope. It's the model. We practice medicine is very much the same model. My grandfather used where, you had pneumonia, you treat your pneumonia. If you have a broken leg, you fix it. You have appendicitis. And these things revolutionary, revolutionized healthcare. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. when you look at a quarter of the population dying before the time they made it to 12, that doesn't happen anymore. I don't have friends who, I don't have multiple friends who bury children. That's not the norm anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, it used to be the norm. And so just realizing that that model, which you, an acute issue is what killed most people, we're now switching to chronic health issues. You know, the most common cause of death in our country is heart disease, which is multifactorial. Um, the second most common is cancer, which is multifactorial. And so the model needs to change with what's going on in the country. And that just takes, um, unfortunately, it takes time. Yeah, it does. Yeah, but I, I, I do think that a lot of people are trending there and people are just starting to ask questions, you know? Yeah. And I know um, for me, I always want to know in my whole life, why? Why does that yeah. happen? Why does that happen? Why is this well, happening? So well, well, a great example, Aaron, is, is, is telehealth, telemedicine, right? We wanted to do telemedicine for years, but the insurance company said, no, we're not going to pay for it. We're not going to pay for mm-hmm. it. Well, now every insurance pays for it since COVID. And so, mm-hmm. you know, and there's, and there's talk halfway through that, that they were going to stop paying for it as of the fall of 2021. Well, they're still paying for it because they realize that people are demanding it. And so, you know, we can't change the way health is health in our system is, is reimbursed, but people have to demand it. 
You're right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm hoping we're getting there. It sounds like we're getting there. Um, that's why I can't wait for listeners to hear this information from you. So tell me, I love to ask this question. This is, um, you know, the name of the show is sparking wholeness. So if you could give one piece of advice to spark someone toward wholeness, what would it be? It would just be to start with baby steps. It's not just pick, pick with the one thing you can do today. It doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be anything special. And just take that first step. And then next week, what's the next small baby step you can take? You know, you know every elite athlete, you know, every Olympian, Olympic champion starts with crawling and walking. They don't get to that, 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 that high level unless they start with the basic stuff. And that's why I feel like people just need to find out what, they're, what they can do today and do it. Not what I say you can do, not what you say they can do, but what can you actually, that individual do today, whether it's changing your diet, whether it's getting just starting with getting the bad, bad fats out of your house, mm-hmm. where it's cutting back on sugar, maybe cutting back on alcohol. Maybe it's mm-hmm. actually trying to get seven hours of sleep, not four hours of sleep a night. Just pick something mm-hmm. that will impact those, those seven key things we, I talked about in, that, in my ebook and just pick one you think you can do today and do that one. Yeah, that's so helpful. I love that. So tell me where can people um, learn more about you and what you do and follow you on social media and all of that? I mean, my platform is richmondfunctionalmedicine.com, which is my website where I have, um, you know, I blog articles. I do a lot of social media stuff, which people can go from the website there to my Instagram and Facebook. Um, I have an online community as well, where we have courses and um, we have coaches that help people and then my, my brick and mortar. Um, so all that just revolves around my, the website, richmondfunctionalmedicine.com. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for this conversation. Time just flew by. Um, You're a wealth of information and I appreciate you taking the time to be on the show. Aaron, thanks a lot for inviting me. The tiniest spark leads to the biggest blaze. And I hope that today's episode sparks you on a journey to healing and wholeness. Thanks for listening to Sparking Wholeness. For more information on what I do and my coaching programs, or maybe just to reach out and say, hey, find me at sparkingwholeness.com or on Instagram at sparkingwholeness. Have a fabulous week.